Welcome to the Logo Centrifugal Podcast. I am Chance Lunsford, and I am also Logo Centrifugal, and I spend a lot of time in either of those people. I'm here with my guest, Larry Chang. Larry, it's great to have you here. Um, why don't you tell the people a little bit about yourself? How are you? It's good to uh, be on your show. Uh, I really just, I guess I really just, my my claim to fame is I take really good notes and I listen and I try to figure out what and how stuff really works. And I think you and I met over Twitter where I have an explosion of things that fascinate me. And I view that the most important reader that I'll ever have is me later when I'm rereading some of my old tweets, which are really notes on stuff that I've learned or stuff that I'm expanding on or stuff that's intriguing that I pay attention to. I see. Um, do you keep notebooks or did you before Twitter and now yeah. you switch to Twitter? Uh, I do both. Um, hmm. I do both. Uh, Twitter's great from a read something to curate, which is also how I view taking notes also is you're trying to do a mind meld, like a brain connection, a hive mind to the person who's mentoring you. And hmm. Twitter's great for that because it accents, augments, and amplifies what your teacher, what your mentor, what your cohort, uh, what, whatever's going on that's interesting, it, just, it helps you curate it into a, this is where my effort is with a hobby of venture capital or the, the interest in crashing parties or the interesting hustle of, of helping a person start, whether it be starting up their FICO score or starting up a company or starting up uh, a music festival, whatever people are trying to start, that's where all the pain is because starting's really hard, if not nearly impossible to do. Absolutely. So you, you kind of lifted off or lift, listed off some stuff right there. And I'm wondering, you know, I know that you are fascinated from what I've seen from you by helping people start stuff. What, <laughs> what have you seen? Interesting. Well, you know, like I've, in order to be a little bit prepared, I went and kind of watched some of your stuff. You know, I went to your website, Duck9, and I watched some of the videos and um, some of the appearances on the news. And, and I, you know, I've been following you for a few weeks, and there's something that's very striking about the way that you tweet, which is it's clear that it, it's what you just said, that it's notes for yourself, because there's a whole bunch of stuff that, is non sequitur to an outside viewer where it's like, okay, here's a bunch of words and here's some hashtags. And I'm pretty sure there's some relevancy to something he's done in the past. And here's a picture of a thing that doesn't necessarily bear correlation to what has been tweeted. I'm missing something here. And, and I find that fascinating. It's almost like cryptography studying your timeline. <laughs> the pictures actually do matter. And that's why I put them in there because they matter to me. And I want that engagement of, is this hashtag a joke? 
And <laughs> because it's, it's not a joke and it's funny. Thank you for sometimes thinking so, but it's a way that alpha males have been able to, to mentor and wrangle a young, dumb alpha male. And that's me. Like I'm the young, dumb alpha male who at times wouldn't listen. So my mentors joke about it because no young, dumb alpha male ever listens. I mean, since time began, especially if you're athletically gifted in some manner, way, shape, or, uh, or self-indulged form. So when I was getting coached, my baseball coach would sound like he was joking. And uh, it was up to the young buck to say, hey, are you joking? Are you serious? And why is my mind exploding? Because that's what happens when you've got a experienced 40, 50, 60, 80-year-old coach who's trying to cram their giant brain into, you know, the young, dumb buck who's 19 years old and, you know, full of juice. Absolutely. And as you were, as you were saying those things, I was sitting here laughing to myself because I can identify with that so strongly (laughs) in my youth. I, I was raised by a physical giant and a, and a specimen and I'm, I'm an above average size guy and I'm strong and athletic and I've always been very alpha because it was, it was just me and my mega alpha dad. And that's just kind of how I've been raised. And I was so stubborn and so thick scold and so my way or nobody, you know, or no other way. And I had to, I had to come near to death to finally start listening to other people's wisdom and not have to learn everything the hard way. And it's still something, you know, like I have to catch myself. Sometimes I find myself just uh, like closing off to outside information and then I have to check myself and say, no, whenever you do that, it's because you know that you don't have the right answer and you don't want to face it. All right, turn around and look at the mirror and let's think about this for a minute. <laughs> but what, what was the first moment that you, that you clicked off your own judgments and started clicking a mentor's? Well, it was, a, it was a series of things. I mean, I lived a very hard, let's say, um, adolescence and early adulthood. Lots of drugs, lots of uh, negative behaviors, lots of destruction. And I came close to destroying myself, but there were people around me who were successful in their attempts at self-destruction, whether from suicide or overdose or going to prison or, um, you know, being murdered or whatever, there are people around me who are dying. And that, that was like a tidal wave of, of like impending death that at some point I had to face the reality that I was heading for the same direction and I had to choose okay. to live or die. And, and when I chose life, that it was like opening up a gate of, of all the information my dad had always been trying to fill me and my teachers and, and the great works that I had read that, I took note of, but did not integrate. And then it was, you know, 15 years later, here I am. And um, it took a long time to sort of 
turn things around and build myself into who I wanted to be. But now I'm in a place where I'm ready to um, sort of step out into the world and, and declare myself as a man I'm proud to be. Was there a specific like moment that you recall yourself that, that clicked the on button? In- yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of out there. Um, but sure. Why not? No, but what happened? Like, Oh, like, like, you want me to describe the sensation or just the emotion that caused you to like, to, to stimulate and catalyze a change. Hmm. Well, emotions are a tricky thing for me because I'm on the spectrum. So I experience them a little differently than, um, maybe other people do. And when I you say necessarily... spectrum, what do you mean? The autism spectrum. Um, I'm an Asperger's person. So do you hear, do you hear what Rola Tomasi talked about with, uh, the guy who tweets out of rational mail, how he, he calls Asperger's a, a waft of low EQ. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially it's, it's low EQ because you don't, you, you don't have a cognitive emotional connection. Interesting. It still occurs, but there's not, the I, or at least the theory, as I understand it, is that there's a communication issue between hemispheres. So, You're going to love this. You're going to love <laughs> this. You're going to love this. So bringing just an awareness that your EQ is floor low is a thing that uh, it's like it's like yoga it's like a sport that you're not dominant at but you're trying to do anyway because it's during that struggle during that emotional not necessarily vulnerability but emotional difficulty or emotional awareness that you then say hey uh this is my my coming to coming to moment so so when going back to the mentorship when my baseball coach would joke, I remember him saying something so flippantly that my brain rejected the truth of it, which was, Hey, you shouldn't play shortstop. In fact, you'll never play shortstop for me. You should be my relief pitcher. You should be my closer. I'm like a closer plays in the ninth inning. I want to start. Right. So, so I didn't listen. And within a year I was out of baseball and the Hmm. guy behind me in the depth chart, David Jones, who was also in engineering school with me under Augie Garrido, he starts closing. And he's every time I saw him in engineering class, he'd be like, doing great. You could be doing what I'm doing. And it wasn't rubbing it in my face. It was just an awareness that I was wrong. I made the wrong call. And this is a person who had less talent than I did, had better wherewithal to listen, and was having massively better results. And that's when it clicked on where I'm like, okay, the next charming 
super successful, super, uh, uh, like, douchey, over-the-top. Who wears a Rolex to the baseball field? I mean, that's what he did. <laughs> like, he just did the most outlandish things. Like, he just does, he would just do things with this preparation that just knock you on your ass. And so even with an avalanche of evidence, because I was the only kid at the time who knew what a Rolex was, because I was like, what's coach doing wearing a Rolex? Who, who wears, like, at the time, you know, an exp- it was still an expensive watch. But it, who, who does that? Who <laughs> behaves and acts like that? All the clues were there, still didn't listen. So afterwards, uh, within a year and a half, I was a multi-multi-millionaire because the next old white charming dude I listened to named Mark McCormack. I mean, he had crazy stuff to say too. And I'm like, okay, get your notepad out. And that's why I pay attention to who takes notes on uh, life. Like everyone's like, Oh, Tom Brady overrated. Tom Brady cheats hands down highest EQ uh, awareness, uh, complete unicorn. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got nothing but respect for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. I think there's a reason that that's the greatest combination of all time. You know, like he gets screamed at and coached in his own documentary. There's a no-name wide receiver. Oh, I want to say, I want to say episode two of Tom versus Time. The, the, uh, Gotham Chopra documentary on Tom Brady that airs on uh, Facebook. Facebook the website. <laughs> yeah, the episode two. There's a no-name wide receiver that's dropping f bombs on Tom Brady's head during his own documentary, like telling him to F this and F and, you know, F that. And he doesn't even swear back. He's like, do your job. I'm doing my job. You do your job. That was his only retort after getting like five to seven F bombs. Hmm. And that's where you're able to be from. And this is because me gives me goosebumps. He's able to be coached even from a no-name wide receiver who's like at camp in like freaking Yosemite, you know, in the hills, you know, running routes at altitude. He gets coached by people who, all people, he doesn't care. He just wants the knowledge. Yell on him all you want if you're giving feedback that's somewhat useful to him developing. Mm. So you think that um, Tom Brady's situation is because he has such a high EQ that he's able to process his own, um, say, suboptimal emotional routines and cuts those away and just completely cuts to the heart of the information at hand, like a story problem. Completely, completely. Like if it's even possible to have a 4,000 EQ, that's him. Like, able to be completely present like he's not uh from a body language standpoint he's the opposite of an asperger he's you know 
present sandwich. Is that the difference? Ass burger, ass present. Anyway, yeah, yeah being right. able it's... to slow everything down at the most critical moments um, to do well. You know, it's interesting you should say that because, um, and I just actually had a conversation about this with my friend, Ryan Fellman, who runs the Path to Manliness website and podcast. And I'm writing his I, name down. He's a good Ryan Fellman. With one what's L. His, what, what's his, what's his, what's Path his? Path to Manliness. Uh, Path to Manliness. And he, uh, I was talking with him and I mentioned that I came across this guy in an interview one day and he, he is an Asperger's guy and he had written a book called journal of best practices. <laughs> I love it. And as I said to him, I didn't even need to read the book. I instantly understood what it was. And, and I've, and I've used that idea ever since, you know, like I, I have these experiences that I can rely on with reliable metrics. Like I've seen the pattern enough times that I understand, okay, <laughs> if this, then that, so then I just am prepared for the situation that arises when it happens again. This is what worked last time. This is what not did work. Here's my hypothesis yep. for what to do. That's, so I can, he, I can act as though. But you're not just acting as though. You're acting from a – I'm writing that down too. You're acting from a frame of preparation, which I have a hashtag for, CS183PQRSD. CS like computer science. 183 like the class that peter Thiel taught the guy who started founders fund and the guy who uh invested in facebook the guy who i mentored where you you mentored peter Thiel. you know what this is where i be i am now augie garrido and mark mccormack like together because mm -hmm. those two would say crazy things and I am, I never thought I would be like those two, like crazy old white dude. <laughs> yeah, I mentored him. He was in a world of hurt. And, you know, it's funny because just like Tom Brady, I will go and Mark McCormack and Augie Garrido, I will go from mentor, student, legendary coach, okay, to your mentee flying up your butthole to study you, uh, <laughs> which is what I did with Peter Thiel. Like, he has a historical perspective on entrepreneurship, and I memorized his, uh, his lectures. And, you know, sure, I mentored him, but, you know, what's more important is that he mentored me which is why CS183 is his class, but I forked his class because like all genius people, couldn't care to like iron out the details, right? Sound familiar? So <laughs> the detail of PQRST is how to go from zero to 0 0.6, cause he wrote a book zero to one, but I'm like, hey, you forgot a bunch of stuff that I taught you and I'm gonna break it down for you and do your job for you Mr. Mentor, Mr. Student, uh, Mr. Non-PhD teaching faculty as I was. Uh, I'm going to break down your hashtag for you, CS183. He doesn't even know his own class number. 
If you ask him, <laughs> hey, what was your class number? He'd be like, it was Indy. It was Indy, the Stanford Engineering Department uh, with computer science under department head. He doesn't even know the class number. I hashtagged it out because those notes matter. And he didn't even take those notes. Blake Masters took those notes. Granted, he was incredibly well-prepared. Peter Thiel was. And Blake Masters basically wrote his book for him from the notes that he took. So PQRST is Preview, Question, Review, Summarize, Test. And if there's anything that can come out of this podcast, and that is that Lecture 5, CS183B, it's called Competition is for Losers. It's actually a game plan for how to deal with competition. Uh, but Lecture 5, he talks about how people have something of benefit, meaning you and I, the hustlers, that's the, that's the X benefit. And then Y is what, you, what money you make from it. And that X and Y have nothing to do with each other <laughs> unless you make it true. And I'm like, that's at the crux of every engineer's problem, which is, hey, you currently are blowing $25 million a month doing stupid stuff. This is how to benefit. This is the this is the savings. Good luck trying to get your why. Just because you see twenty five million in problems, good luck getting your money. Which is what that lecture solves. CS twenty three B is in boy. It was the sequel class to his class. CS twenty three B is in boy, lecture five. So, you. You just said that um, you thought that he skipped over a whole bunch of stuff that you taught him. And, and I feel like we skipped over a whole bunch of important stuff because you were playing baseball. And then you said a year and a half later, you're a multi-multi-millionaire. And there's a lot of stuff on there that I'd be fascinated to be hearing about. Setting aside pattern recognition. Pattern recognition is something that like very few people do. Uh, women do it horribly. Like that's why they like poop test people like with a shit test. That's what that is. Cause they can't pattern recognize and they're doing it by default in programming as an analyst. Pattern recognition, very hard pattern repetition, slightly easier pattern iteration way easier because your initial pattern was slightly off. So if you delegate pattern recognition and then we ourselves do pattern repetition and then pattern iteration, that's the whole key. So, so as soon as I decided that my emotions, my, my ego, need, stop me if this sounds like a broken record because this is everybody's story. If my ego was taking a hit because I'd never met a better shortstop. I just hadn't. I was way better than the starter. Uh, I was way better than, like, I would look at guys in the pros and be like, I'd totally be able to make that throw. Setting your ego aside to listen to what the role is that you will be getting as a first-year playing sophomore. Like, can you set your ego aside? So pattern recognition, 
I didn't know that that's what happens to every, every, you know, five diamond stud athlete is your freshman year for me, sophomore year. Cause I sat freshman year. Um, and coach Garrido hadn't come to university of Illinois yet. That's what happens to everyone's first year. You know, you don't get to just be the man. You got to do a role. And, you know, closer is a great role. I mean, people die for that role. Whereas I felt it was uh, uh, a downgrade. But the next person, Mark McCormick, I had no qualms whatsoever handing over the reins. This sounds cliche too, because if you talk to successful people, if they're honestly, truly successful, and if they're being emotionally honest, at some point they turned over the pattern recognition analysis reins, especially if they had a strong father. If they're an orphan or their dad abandoned them, that's their issue because they can't turn over the reins, you know, as per the NBA, NFL, MLB algorithm, which is how coachable are you? Hmm. So just to be clear, um, when you're talking pattern recognition, what you're basically saying is find somebody who's doing it the best and listen to what they're saying or copy what they're doing. Exactly. And that's the hashtag, hashtag PRPRPI, which I want to say maybe 5% of my tweets are along the lines of pattern recognition, pattern replication, pattern iteration so you're just delegating the pattern recognition but we as the hustlers we're just replicating and we're pattern iterating we're tweaking it so we're not just starting whole scale new so i just copy pasted mark mccormick's business he had img which is being an agent to sports people i viewed duck nine as being an agent to sorority girls who didn't have representation contractual representation when it came to credit scores when it came to credit applications when it came to managing their own credit card managing their own victoria's secret uh catalog subscription because they don't email you the bill well now they do sort of but you gotta send in paper paper disputes to PO box one six five eight nine, which is another hashtag, PO box one six five eight nine, because Victoria's Secret, it turns out, is the sluttiest, uh, pun intended, credit grantor. They will never turn you down. So if you want your first diverginizing moment to be a success, start with Victoria's Secret, buy thirty bucks worth of lingerie or thong. They've got great sales actually like five thongs for like 20 bucks. And if you want to get a girl that you're dating jealous, one thong underneath your pillow. And you're like, Oh my God, I had no idea how they got there. You bought it. It's a prop. <laughs> you're literally engineering up a tidal wave of momentum, perpetual promotion machine, which is another hashtag. UTWMPPM. So you have one bird that's, you have one, you have, you can kill six birds with that one stone because you're building credit, buying Victoria's Secret stuff, 
and you're, you know, generating all this interest and you're, you know, setting the frame for, hey, I wanted a start gift for our little relationship. Here's a thong, you know, and you get a 34 C when you know she's like a 34 B. <laughs> oh, I just assumed because they're, they See? look so large. <laughs> See? See? So, this is, this is very fascinating. I wasn't sure what to expect talking with you, man, to be honest. and Kind of makes sense now, doesn't it, with the credit thing? And also, if you're going to talk about financial literacy, nobody's able to crack that nut ever. So I took two things out of financial literacy, the finance and the literacy. <laughs> just removed it. <laughs> Thanks. And so it's just gamification where, and then a little bit of sexiness. So gamified meaning second stage premiums and not ever talking about the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which would put people to sleep. Not talking about mailing stuff to P.O. boxes, but, but bringing it home in this is what happens when people fail. They fail to start. They fail to, they never fail to maintain. They fail to start and, you know, it spiders off into these counterintuitive factors of credit score establishment. And once you do that in your career, everything's super easy. Like don't take too much venture capital or this is what you need to do as an engineer now looking to do sales. Like those things are easy compared to, okay, this is what every advertising message that's trying to program you to do the default. Let's get you to swallow the red pill. And by the way, there's no such thing as swallowing the red pill. Like whenever I hear that, my skin starts to crawl because it isn't a momentary thing. In order to be red-pilled, you need to read 20 to 60 books to convince yourself, oh my God, this is the wiring of it. Because swallowing a pill means you get everything as soon as the pill lands. And that's not how it works. You got to read literally 20 to 40 volumes of stuff before you're like, oh, this is how it works. You know, this is, this is a subject that uh, I couldn't agree more with you on. And I've actually written about this several times. And I, what's it called? What have you written? I'm taking more just, notes. This is what's also frustrating. I'm going to be taking more notes during this podcast than the podcast listeners because after 100%. this what i said 100 <laughs> percent. okay nobody, so what was that nobody thing supposed to read that you wrote oh it i just i've written a thread and i've written a bunch of tweets and stuff about it but it's it's just uh, like if you wanted to find the tweet i could probably just send it to you um because okay, i don't in remember the... exactly what i wrote but essentially what i'm saying is that if you want to look at it, the red pill is taking the red pill. That's just the moment that you wake up to the fact that you now need to be an adult. It's not, or that you need to take responsibility for your reality and align yourself with reality. You can't pretend otherwise, if you want to be optimally successful, you have to 
recognize the truth, but it's not like that recognition magically erases all of your bad habits and all of your misconceptions and all of your um, sort of incorrect beliefs that you haven't examined. It just means that now you know you have to do all those things and then it's a lifelong journey after that. Right. And it's to a certain extent, like I feel the same as you a little bit that it kind of makes my skin crawl. But as I've stepped back and look at it, I think hyperbole aside, I think it's good that there are some people out there who are trying to say, Hey, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that you've been told about who you are and where you come from that are not necessarily true. And you need to wake up to the fact and here's some things that you can chew on. But if that's as far as you ever develop or as far as you ever encourage people to develop, that gets pretty weird to me. The word that you said when you said hyperbole, guess what word I thought of? Hypergamy. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> what do you think of that concept? Well, it's just like, it's just like any other facet of humanity. It's true to a certain extent in certain places and its influence varies wildly depending on environment and culture and individual preferences and stuff. But is it a factor? Sure. But is it this sort of be all end all factor that a lot of these um, red pill guys want to act as though it is? I don't think so. And it's pretty clearly not if you're actually reading any of the books that they're encouraging you to read. Huh? Yeah. I'm 50 50 on what you just said, because the way that, okay, the way that females process information and risk. So, so I did a stint uh, because I hang out a lot with women. <laughs> and that is this. I did a stint on gender, gender reversal entrepreneurship exercises. And I learned so much more than they learned from me hmm. and and the 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 hypergamy concept all of that's real because of how women process risk completely differently um so risk so it has a hashtag rmrmre risk Mitigation, risk minimization, risk elimination. The way that women start up their credit score, the way that women try to avoid risk, the way that women attack entrepreneurship um, is completely different from how a man uh, attempts entrepreneurship, which is also why when women even try entrepreneurship, they become massively successful because they think about it from a risk mitigating standpoint when they finally do take action, when they finally do pull the trigger, because they never pull the trigger, because that's how they're wired is to not pull the trigger. Uh-huh, pun intended. Like that's their that's their their that's how they're wired. And when I learned about the in-depth uh, protocols and mappings of hypergamous nature that I applied to entrepreneurship from a female education 
female attempt at entrepreneurship, which is, which is kind of yielding to the conquerors, um, uh, how to ratchet up, but without any risk, uh, how to, how to monkey limb, how to monkey branch up like that's sort of genius and hmm. sort of wrong. Um, I don't want an advisor like your advisor. I want you as an advisor. Whereas a man be like, Oh, you sound like you had a great relationship with Mark McCormick. I want a relationship with somebody similar to Mark McCormick. Not I want Mark McCormick. I see. Or this is my Mark McCormick. You know, this is my baseball coach. This is somebody okay. who helped me. And there's, that's how men kind of trade off. Whereas, whereas like the monkey branch concepts, that's real where they want your man. They don't want a man like your man. Interesting. So I think, I think um, this is one of those instances where I spoke and I sounded very confident. And as I listened to you, I realized you're talking on another level than I was talking on. Um, and I'm probably wrong about the way that I was looking at it because I was looking at this situation from a, a more simplistic view. And I was, uh, I was thinking, dating I was thinking like, well, yeah, or, or just like, you know, the solution to hypergamy in a lot of the red pill community is just like, you got to puff up your chest and pretend like you're rich and like that, that sort of simplistic rendering of the process is what I was speaking, speaking on, but I should have known better having um, spoken with you about the things thus far that you're, you're talking on another level. And I, I just sat back and allowed myself to be schooled right there is, is essentially interesting. (laughs) Interesting. So, so you're able to like set aside the, the emotional hardship of the bad news that got broken. Whereas now you're more open to, to reading the wiring that's been mapped out by a bunch of genius dudes like that are in that red pill group. Their stuff's spot on. Like there is not anything in the rational male that is incorrect. Hmm. And the reason for that is all of that stuff has been vetted and debated and uh hated on so so if you notice specifically with rollo tomasi the way that he uh talks and the way that he um he states truths that are incredibly defensible and defendable and easy to win a debate on because he doesn't take a uh he doesn't argue something like the way that I say things. I say something and I want you to disconnect from me. Like, uh, oh yeah, I mentored, you know, the early PayPal uh, group for credit risk defaults. I mean, that sounds outlandish, especially when you look at me. I mean, I look like I'm 26. (laughs) Okay. Don't look 26, (laughs) but that's still pretty funny. Right. And so the way that he, Rolo Tomasi argues, is he says basic 
common trite things that are assembled in a genius way with, with a foundation. So he comes at it from a, a theorem aspect, not a theory, where he even talks about how red pill is theory, but game is practice. I don't think red pill is theory. I think red pill is theorem, where if 17 things you know, make the two triangles identical, you've got two identical triangles you know, like uh, geometry, like angle side angle doing proofs. Those are theorems where if the angle and the side and the angle match, well, the triangle is exactly the next triangle. That's a theorem. That's not a theory. So when he says red pill is theory, game is practice, I think the next iteration of it should be red pill is theorem. And that's what I love prior to meeting him is I hate theories. Theories don't work. I like theorems where, you know, if I'm going to make really good guacamole, I'm going to caramelize onions the night before, or I'm going to grill bell peppers two days prior. If you've ever had really good octopus that was braised, then marinated in buttermilk because of the pH and then grilled. So if you're eating yummy grilled octopus that doesn't have that chewy chewy consistency and it's got like chicken consistency it's because they started making that delicious evia grilled octopus that you're eating on friday they started making that on tuesday and monday that's a Mm. theorem that's not a theory for octopus or guacamole when you're grilling bell peppers de-skinning them pureeing them and then putting them in a guacamole because then people are like oh my god did you grill the avocado why does this taste this good? Theorem. Interesting. So I guess looking at this from my angle um, and, and my, I suppose, misunderstanding, I, I guess I've been looking at the whole red pill situation uh, at, through like a, a second order group. You know, I haven't, I haven't interacted a lot with Rolo Tomasi or really at all. Um, and I haven't, I haven't interacted with a lot of the, you know, the sort of original characters on the scene, but I've seen a lot of dickheads, um, with a lot of shitty ideas come out of that, um, area. And I've also, I've got, you know, I've got connections with people who are very intelligent, hyper intelligent, hyper successful people who have also, um, attached themselves or aligned themselves with that line of thinking. So, you know, I, I had a sneaking suspicion that I wasn't getting the full picture, but I hadn't taken the time necessarily to um, investigate because of the, the, the ratio of dickhead to genius, I guess. So, you know what, what do you, what do you think the messaging issue is there? I think, okay. When you're talking about dickheads, (laughs) I call them douchey people. Okay. Like somebody who are, somebody who's where you're like, Oh my God, what, why do I have to take a bath in your, in your self-indulgence, self-promotion while I'm trying to learn. And for me, I don't even hear that anymore. When I hear, Oh, you know, I'm really upset because my, my Audi TT uh, got here and Oh my God, 
Like I had already ordered another one. So now I have two, but this one's in the other house. I don't <laughs> hear that. <laughs> I know. It's funny, right? I don't think to myself, oh my God, I'm so jealous. I'm like, your special snowflake issue is actually cliche. Like it's cliche to buy two things, like buying two books. And then you're like, oh my God, I actually own this book already. Didn't read it. I'm happy that you're able to like buy that second car. So that just washes over me. I'm happy for you, but I need the knowledge of what you're trying to convey. And if you're trying to convey the fact that you have, you know, multiple cars that are exactly the same car, maybe you're trying to set frame on, I really know what I'm talking about right now, but I can't give you academic qualifications because I really nerded out. And for the last six Saturdays, I've been studying, you know, Jimmy Song's book, Programming Bitcoin. And I can't tell you what a prepaid API is with the hashtag that Larry uses, which is a prepayment of future gasoline money for my Audi TT. Like they can't do that, but they need to have something uh, incredibly concise and small and tight. So they'll say something jerkish or dickheadish, but then it's followed by the genius of compressed six Saturdays of knowledge that they're now trying to convey to you at a party at mm. a cocktail party or in a phone conversation or in this podcast where, where I don't have the time to map out. Uh, I've actually met a lot of people like a Tom Brady at moments where it clicked in my mind. This person is different. That's why I had to drop the Peter Thiel instance of, of, killing six birds with the one stone because then you're like uh how do you look as how do you look the way you look based on uh you know how mature you are or how old you are well there's another protocol for that which i just consumed from a nutrition standpoint which is the tom brady avocado kale almond butter pseudo ice cream like when was the last time you ate three pounds of kale? Hmm. Ever? You I grew kale in my garden. I eat it all the time, man. I love Ew. it. Ew. Ew. Do you blanch it? How do you do you just pick it out of the do you just pick it out of the garden and just baby, pull a little baby salt kale. on it? Baby kale goes in the salads. Big leaf. Sometimes I just eat while I'm out there gardening smoothies. Oh God, I was joking. I was joking. I chuck you it in, actually I chuck do it do in that. soups. Oh yeah. Uh, well, I'm Ew. a weird dude. <laughs> Ew. Ew. Well, the only way I can eat kale is if you turn it into like ice cream, which I do because initially I was joking about you know the Tom Brady. Because have you seen that guy? He looks super young. This is how he yeah, does. It. I mean. Yeah, the kale, avocado, almond butter, you mix it. You put a little acai fruit in there. It's delicious. It's delicious. I eat it at Bear Bowls. It's like 16 to $22. I don't even know. But it's delicious, and it's really helped. And then initially, I started doing it as a joke to post on my social media. Oh, look at me. I'm eating kale. <laughs> It's delicious if you dump in like a pound of honey. 
just like everything else. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I find myself sitting here kind of being fascinated by you. I, I like, I like what you're saying. And, and to the, to what you were saying before, you know, certainly some of, of my reticence with, with people is ego, but I'm pretty good at letting that go at this point in my life. I've made so many damn mistakes that when I was ready to turn around and face them, the rest of my mistakes were pretty easy to face. But what was share with me one of the mis- last mistakes that you made? One of the most recent ones? Oh, uh, something that you remember. Hmm. Well, I tend to say whatever's on my mind, um, and then I have to deal with the consequences of that uh, afterwards. But I, I guess that that's more general than specific. It sounds like you're looking for a specific instance. Um, well, I just quit smoking about nice. four months ago, and I had, I had smoked since I was 16 years old, and now I'm 33. How did you start? Uh, well, I was doing all the other drugs. Why not this one? <laughs> Turns out that's the worst one, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, <laughs> I, I, did, uh, I, I did all the drugs, and that, that was the only one that was hard to quit. <laughs> that that drug is engineered to get a person hooked on it hooked like anytime okay from in the context of this conversation once you realize that certain behaviors they were engineered by somebody trying to impose their will if you look at central banks and the way that they allocate currency and the way that uh, the way that banks control the money supply, and if you're like trying to write a law or get a law passed, like the way that I did with my friend Barack Obama with HR six two seven House Resolution six two seven, the Credit Card Card Act, none of that matters if you have no control over the money supply, which neither him nor I did. It's the Fed. And look at that relationship. That, that's a cliche relationship uh, that Jerome Powell has with uh, the 45th president. Like, what in the world is getting hoodwinked over the traditional consumer? Like, look at also set that aside if people are talking about the central bank is too, too, too creepy, too, too. Well, I don't know. Well, I can Illuminati. say I read the creature from Jekyll Island and my outlook on the world has never been the same. That's literally people just figuring out when to war. <laughs> like, how wrong is that? Pretty wrong. <laughs> the creature from Jekyll Island is a life altering Okay, so I work in credit, right? And I started a business out of my dorm room, mentoring and coaching sorority girls with credit talks. And I always wondered, like, why isn't my little credit talk taught in high school? Like, why is it that America exports its inflation? I always heard that, but I'm like, I don't get it. Like, there isn't as much inflation in America. It's because we have the reserve currency. Like we just print it. 
we just print it and the money that you have that's in Japan that's on a treasury that becomes less valuable and if your entire currency is based on the reserve currency of US dollar well you're going to experience inflation whereas America exports and I always had these questions and I was just like well I don't care I'm making this money and when I found out I was like oh my god I've been doing all this work and I really haven't even started like if you look at student loans like you and it doesn't matter if there's a, a Dem or a Republican in office. Like, nobody cares about yeah. the average person. Nobody, like, uh, you can't discharge a school loan due to bankruptcy. Like, whoever wrote that law? Like, the, the Department of Education as a bank, it's the third largest bank in the world. Third largest no regulatory oversight that's uh, uh, i had never heard that yeah that completely free reign uh doesn't have to adhere to any of the banking laws because it's the department of education number 3 <laughs> largest bank in the world doesn't have occ oversight office of controller of the currency no oversight you know it's funny if you if you do imagine who might have done something like that, you picture like a obese, balding white guy with a top hat and a monocle, clicking his fingers together and going, <laughs> and that's it's, exactly and it's not far off from that. <laughs> that's exactly it. That's yeah. why at all those congressional hearings, they got the monopoly guy who's actually a girl, which is actually another issue. But <laughs> the monopoly girl. That's uh that's what's that's what they're gonna hit next. She's 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 at a lot of the hearings when she's at a lot of the hearings. Hey, the master of the the master of the masters sometimes wants to make sure the <laughs> make sure the flock's behaving correctly. Scary. So, yeah, it is it is kind of scary. So let's my friend Noble Brown he he said ask him what it is that he actually sells <laughs> I sell the idea of a mentor and it's free which is why I hard sell the free and that's what confuses so many people because if I'm soft selling it, okay, you won't even know because I'm soft. I'm, this makes me, this is because I'm friends, pseudo friends with Tom Brady. When he walked into, office, into the office and he said, I'm the biggest and baddest mother effer on the planet. I don't think I've ever met a better salesperson than me. Like even Elon Musk with how well he sells cars, okay. I think I'm a better salesman. As a salesperson, you want to hard sell the free and soft sell the expensive. You want to run game, okay? That's how you run game in a nutshell, which I haven't really heard anywhere. But this is just true, is you want to hard sell the free. 
meaning meaning I want to push goad and close you on something free because once you take, you know, five to 17 of my resources and you make money, I will soft sell you something because it'll just be half of the benefit that you got from the free stuff. Mm. And if we disconnect, well, I kind of really didn't want to know you anyway because the world's only big enough you know, and time is so limited that you want to spend it with people that you're not like fighting a hundred percent of the time with, which is why soft selling the super expensive becomes incredibly possible because we have had five to 17 positive interactions already. Does this sound familiar? This is everybody's playbook. Who's good at money is they will give you five to 17 free and positive things. And then later they'll hit you with something incredibly expensive, but is soft sold to you because why hard sell it? Because you've already taken all the free stuff and gotten benefit from, which is why mm -hmm. when a guy like Noble Brown's like, tell me what you're selling me. Like that's a person who is not who. Okay. So, at what stage is he in, according to my little uh, pattern recognition? How many free things has he gotten from me that he's taken action on? If he's asking that question. Zero. Zero. The person who's taken, the person who's at five or six will say something like, uh, so wait, what did Noble Brown ask again? Oh, oh, what's he selling? The person at five to six interactions, they'll say something along the lines of, they'll say something along the lines of, oh my God, you're so awesome. How do you make money? That's a person who's already done uh, five, but at least two or three. Two to three to five, okay? Is, oh my God, this is the most amazing stuff I've ever seen. But they don't say that part. They're like, oh my God, how do you make money? They're saying that because they're itching to like do something real and legit. So when I hit them later with something that's a soft sale, softly sold, they'll be like, done. Hmm. So the person who's at seven to 10, they will say, oh my God, or one big whale thing which is one big positive inflection point in their life, which is, oh my God, I've never met anybody as awesome as Larry Chang. That's where they're at, which is, which is seven to 10 things. One thing, it seems like one thing, but it's actually seven to 10 things because that one thing is a bunch of little things and they're all free. You're, you're speaking my language here. This is, <laughs> right well I why do you say that because, though well because i'm i'm always stepping back and looking at things like this it's this i have this saying in my life follow the pattern and and it's sort of like a north star for me it's i even wrote a book called the five pillars of the ascendant mind with two other guys and it was about how you can essentially set up an initial pattern 
to then begin living your life. It's for younger guys, essentially, or younger people. It's like, how do you systematize um, the beneficial things in your life so that you can then have that as a concrete foundation to spring from? And I wrote another book called Uncommon Mentality, and that was about how do you how do you harness the intrinsic mental processes that you experience in your day-to-day life and amplify them and use them to your advantage. So when you're talking about this high level game stuff, I'm not, I'm not there with you as far as experience and, and practice in the realms that you're in, but I'm, I'm listening and this is the kind of stuff I'm always trying to listen for. And you're just coming right out and saying it, which, which I also appreciate. And, and you're talking too. I've been studying big time into narrative warfare and memetics. And that's kind of, <laughs> that's why I brought up your memetic surrealism because that's, that's kind of what you do to me is memetics is this, you know, you can, you can picture, you have a vector, which is the vehicle in which a concept is traveling in. And then you have the idea itself or the concept. Um, and in order for me to get past your say like cognitive immune system, my vector has to be able to get past that. And then the idea has to fit conveniently within your pre-existing lattice work of, of, you know, your decision-making complex or your meme plex. And that's what I was t- kind of talking about with you um, is I, I see you putting more in. And now that I get to talk to you a little bit, I'm understanding more about what it is that you are putting in. And like you talked about earlier with the guy with the two cars, there's something more here. What is it? What is it that's here? What is the pattern? And so when you're speaking these amount of things, this is what you're looking at. These amount of interactions, this is what you're looking at. This is exactly the kind of stuff that fascinates me. What was that thing? Narrative W wave wavefront? Narrative warfare. Oh, warfare. Yeah, it's, it's just essentially, as I'm sure you're aware, stories are being told. And the most effective stories have certain components that are consistently a part of them. And it's not always the same exact set, but there's like a rotating set of components that have to be, the more of them that are present in your story, the more compelling it's going to be as long as it fits within somebody's framework. So the ability to tell a compelling story that fits within a pre-existing framework will will almost guarantee that you'll be able to convert somebody to whatever it is that you're trying to convert them to. Let me ask you, what, what, what could I do better with the PO box uh, videos and the 24 perfect interactions with the credit grid? How can I tweak that where you would like that more or that it would, how do I wage a better narrative war with the truths that I know with licking a stamp and putting on a number 10 envelope to send to a PO box? Like how do I narratively win that war? So one of the things about war is that you have to have an enemy um, and you have to be different than that enemy you have to you have to paint clear distinctions between you and the thing that you're fighting against or the and if you personify that enemy that's even more effective because it's not just a vague concept then it's a um a person or a group of people 
Um, and shady, you know, shady groups of evil white guys is a pretty good, um, it's a pretty effective uh, enemy for a lot of people, but it's not very effective for the um, rich white guys who are also looking for um, somebody to fight against. They don't want to fight against themselves necessarily. They do that every day anyway. But the, the point is, I guess, that one of the things is having a more overt enemy to fight against would help people want to be on your side, so to speak. Right. And, and maybe just from me watching your videos, actually, I, I don't know if this is a criticism so much as just a comment, but I always feel like when I'm watching you and even now, I feel like there's a conversation going on in your head and I'm missing lots of what you're saying. And it has to do with how fast you think and how much you're prepared to communicate, I would think. But even in your, even in your short five-minute videos, all the information is there. Everything that you're trying to say is there. I could go do, you know, I could go get my credit report from the P.O. box right now. <laughs> but I, I feel like I'm not, like, I don't feel like you're talking necessarily to me in those videos. Or sometimes even right now, you're talking above my head and I'm digging it. I, I like that. But if I was simpler or perhaps just less, um, less interested in weaving or patterns in my, in my mentality, I would have a hard time keeping up with what you're saying because it, because there's a lot going on inside your head and I can tell. Right. But what would like iron it out better? Hmm. Cause that's what I constantly struggle with is, is, is boiling it down into something actionable, which is why like there's a certain segment in the upper echelons. They eat this up because they're just like, yeah, I met like, you know, not a lot of people like you, but I've met, you know, at least one or two other people that are like you and you know, I'm in. And then once they're in, they stop, uh, they stop pattern recognizing and they start replicating and then iterating. But then there's a massive disconnect because it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't get great feedback across the board. Um, and that's sort of a, a technique too, but I'm always open to getting more, mass appeal versus uh, specific appeal, which is meeting people well, where they're at. Um, I can tell you this, man. Hmm. I write quite a bit and I, I, I used to write a lot of threads for Twitter and a lot of the feedback I got from that was, um, I feel like you're a smart guy, but I don't feel like you're writing to not smart people. And that's, and that's oh. fine and everything because maybe you don't like, I haven't necessarily changed that up that much because I'm, I know who I'm writing to and it, and it isn't necessarily um, like I, I want to attract a certain level of mentality because I have plans for the people um, that I'm trying to attract to me. You know, I have, I have a grand vision and I need people on my side to accomplish it. So it's a, it's a strategic move, but people, let's say like, let's take, in, in my sort of corner of Twitter, there's some very notable people like 
Ed Lattimore or Alexander Cortez or sure. um, some of these people. And, sure. and especially Ed Lattimore, what he does is kind of what you have been talking about where, you know, he's using a lot of platitude type tweets and he's using a lot of simplistic stuff, but his, his messaging is consistent. And there's a, there's a, there's like a, a notch of additional information in what he's doing. So if you have been following him for a year, he might have not tweeted much more than platitudes out, but there's a little nugget. There's a little nugget. There's a little nugget. And all the simplicity over time, you begin to understand and appreciate how clever he is and what he's doing. Same with Alexander Cortez. I mean, he gets a little bit more in depth, but even so, a lot of times he's just throwing a bunch of jabs, bunch of jabs, bunch of jabs, just waiting for you to be ready. And then here comes the hook. Um, so if, if you were interested in attracting more people, you probably have to go simpler. I mean, you probably have to speak to the masses rather than somebody who might come with the already prepared mentality or might have a basis of basic information that um, you might not be able to assume they have if you want to draw more people in, especially young people. The way that I use Twitter, I think, is massively different from how other people use it. Uh, I view my best tweets as already having occurred. Like, and I also try to break down uh, all the tweets prior. And I actually set an intention to this. All the tweets prior to February 26, 2013, anybody with an 80 IQ with no money and no contacts could do. And I set that up specifically uh, to not just unleash because I kind of have that. I kind of have that where yeah. I, I mean, I read a lot, I do a lot. I, uh, but then I was always, before I would tweet something, I would always ask, is this something that a person who's a sophomore, which is where I was at, a sophomore who kind of didn't know what they're doing, you know, a person with an 88 IQ, could they get something out of it? And every tweet prior to 2013, February 26th, hashtagged it even, you, those are the best tweets. And, and I kind of resent people that are like, oh, well, some of your recent tweets don't really make any sense to me. And I've said multiple times, my best tweets are behind me. Moving ahead, I can't imagine, I can't imagine, you know, a tweet number 118,000 all of a sudden going like mass appeal because I'm resentful of people that can't search inside uh, the evergreen content that was, you know, 2007 to 2013. So maybe that's nice. my own resentment because this is how, when I, when I meet those guys, like an Ed Latimer or an AJ Cortez or a Rola Tomasti or Rian or Rich Cooper, I search the stuff that they read and wrote prior. And I also look at their likes. I don't look at their recent likes. I look at their super old likes and trying to do like a credit score for their Twitter. <laughs> I know. And so I don't need to wait and read a timeline. Like I'm, I'm searching for words. Uh, the Ed Lattimore uh, example where he's like, 
I like a woman that, you know, got no credit card debt, who has a strong father, and then on down his list of characteristics. So then I searched on Twitter, which I'm also resentful of people when they don't search Twitter, is Ed Lattimore, uh, strong father, blah, blah, blah. So I'll be able to find the 17 tweets that he tweeted about on that exact particular issue. And I know that people don't do it. And I see when people do do it because before they become a millionaire and it's pretty easy, they will favorite 20 to 50 of my tweets. And then I'll be like, oh, just minted another one. And then it's roll the dice 50-50 if they defriend me or become best friends with me because that's what men do. And if it's a woman, well, you know, she's just kind of loyal and super quiet about it, but then doesn't really talk about it. Hmm. <laughs> I, I hear you on that. <laughs> um, Why do you say I that? On, what do you I hear you on a number of levels. Well, because... <laughs> I'm I'm looking at myself and my own lack general lack of preparation as compared to what you're just talking about. And it, it kind of just makes me chuckle. It's like, Oh yeah, there's some room for improvement for sure. Chance. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? How like your Twitter, like that's your journal, that's your notebook. And I wrote it out and it's free and you're too lazy to search inside of it or you can't click a hashtag or or you don't tweet back or at least favorite a thing like, oh, I read it. Like, it's not heart. Like, I love that. It's, hey, I read it. And people don't even do that. Like, people just kind of lurk. And they don't want to get that feedback. And they don't want to, like, have that interaction. And so, you know, early on when Twitter, I mean, Twitter changed. Before, everybody was doing that. And then once that stopped, I'm like, you know what? The most important reader now and forever will always be me because I need to get the value of the notes that I took, which I've taken five pages of notes during this conversation, which by the way, I'll sell to Noble Brown for <laughs> mm, 60 bucks. <laughs> but... But Best joke of the night, but for thank real. you. <laughs> but this is also how I sell. Also, he pays me the sixty bucks. Okay, I give him the notes, and if he says thank you or tweets about it or says two positive things in social media, I'll give him the sixty bucks back. So well, we didn't just Noble's have one positive. <laughs> we, what? He's going to listen to this too. There's a challenge that's been issued. <laughs> so pay me the 60 bucks. My PayPal account is my full name, Larry Chang at duck nine, duck like a rubber duck, nine, the number nine. Or you can just PayPal my phone number, which is 650-283-8008-8008. So 653-650-283-8008. It's 6508 ATE boob. Get it? <laughs> 8008 boob. That's nice. So you send or paypal.me slash Larry Chang the 60 bucks. You pay me the no. 60. <laughs> I send you the notes. You read the notes and you love the notes because they're good notes, right? They're good notes. Say two positive things about my notes. I'll give you your 60 bucks back. Guess who taught me that maneuver? 
Mark McCormack. <laughs> he would $300,000. That's what it costs for something. You're like, man, what if I don't make the two mil? Well, you will, kid. But tell you this. You pay me the $90,000 and then say two positive things about me, I'll give you your money back. You got to say it publicly. That I came up with a hashtag for, which is LCRRM, the Larry Chang reverse rebate model. It came from Mark McCormack because he would do crazy awesome deals like that. Where he'd be like, yeah, it's 300 grand. But if you say two positive things, I'll give you back your money. Guess what? The next, the next person who wants to pay 300000 they're not going to get their money back. But they heard, hey, you know, you're doing business with Larry Chang. You had a positive experience enough to say it on CNN. In fact, sometimes before a VIP speaker goes up on stage to speak at in an industry conference, I'm like, hey, Ron Conway, you are an angel investing genius and the way that you chipped in early money on Google, on Facebook, just awesome. Tell you what, I've got two tickets to the All-Star game for baseball. If you say one positive thing about me, my name's Larry Chang. And he'll be like, you are such a hustler. I know who you are. You invite me to the All-Star game all the time. Well, this is your chance. Say say something positive. I will give you two tickets. And that's me not even sitting near you because I'll just give you two tickets and you can actually enjoy the game. I won't be selling you on me the whole game <laughs> before he speaks at a keynote. Guess what? It's going to leak out. He might even say something negative, which is actually okay too. Like, how do you make money at this thing? Did you spend 50 grand here? I don't even know what's going on. That's what you want. <laughs> but that's a gift. So tell Noble that it's 60 bucks. And if he pays me the 60, I'll send him great notes. If he says something positive about the notes that I gave him, he can have the 60 bucks back. That's two positive interactions because then he's going to be like, what if I lose the 60? And then when he gets the 60 back, a lot of times this is what happens at the rebate is they got the $2 million of value. So they feel sheepish for taking the 300 K, which a lot of times they'll just be like, nah, just keep it. I didn't know that it was actually going to be $2 million in value. I thought you were just blowing smoke up my butt. But we might actually, I might actually get promoted because I bought your dumb thing, which is how large company officials and C-level people think. Is They don't think I want to buy something to make my company better. I want to buy something and not lose my job because I bought it. I want to buy something so that way my career actually springboards and then they take you with them which is why you got to soft sell the super expensive because later guess what when they're at their new company they're not going to send that out to bid they're not going to do 15 to 20 page rfp response are you joking nobody wins like i'll write your rfp for you this is what you're shopping for it's like being the head of search for a position for CEO. Guess who, the, guess who they're going to hire? 
the person who chaired that committee on search. Because hmm. you're writing the RFP for them. You're not asking the questions. It's like you're on a date. Look, these are the five things I look for in, in a guy. Like these are the things that you should be looking out for. The five ego warning signals. One, does he have a new job? Two, does he have a new car? Three, does he have a new house? Four, does he have a change in personal relationships? Five, does he have a change in personal relationships with his family? Because if two or more of those in flux, young lady, they are not going to commit to you. So, you know, I'm obviously batting five for fives. And that's how to shop. So you're soft selling by giving them, you know, some actual ability to rationally think. Because chick logic, that's never worked since time began. So if you just give them rational thinking, they're going to get mad because they're like, oh, what? You think I'm just an emotional girl, like in the proliferative phase? Stealing from <laughs> luteal phase, proliferal. Like, what am I, just like slutty right now? No. Yes. I'm confused. You give them those five, how to shop, you know, in your, in your low-cut, like slutty red or maroon. As Eliza Schlesinger says, maroon. I wear maroon because I know I want to bang, but I don't want to wear red because then it'll be obvious that I want to bang. So that's why they wear <laughs> maroon. So now when I see red or maroon, I'm like, go time. Whereas before I was like kind of confused. I'm telling you all of the things that are on that blog, Rational Mail, all of it. And also Black Label Logic. It's just ass arbitrage. It's, it's putty. It's the algorithm for putty. And everybody's got a business model, even though they don't talk about it. And I've got a hashtag for it. Business model is CS183, Peter Thiel's class. Sam Altman taught it afterwards. Reed, taught it after, Reed Hoffman taught it C afterwards. Uh, I have a spec class on D and E editing. But CS183 putty. And uh, is completely allows you to sniff out and the a business model. And the hashtag for business model is CS183 EUBM, engineer up a business model. And so if you've got a business model for ass, then that's what Black Label talks about is the arbitrage of ass. Like once you realize that his crazy stuff is all about arbitrage and reverse engineering the formula, all of this stuff actually begins to make sense mm. because people have a business model. Like that guy, uh, what's that guy's name? Goldman Unleashed, yeah. the guy who wears a hat and <laughs> uh, talks about camera game. Well, that's his arbitrage is is making popular girls on instagram which i don't even touch by the way i don't know if you've ever looked at my instagram the only people uh that follow me are like an olympic trainer literally an olympic trainer from stanford and you know two random student athletes who uh i sniff out as you know the next tom brady be or better tom house who's tom brady's mentor um so goldman talks about camera game 
which is just ass arbitrage. He's just bringing a camera around and saying, I'll make you more famous. So he's mm -hmm. trying to like, you know, arbitrage the girl from uh, SMV, social market value, eight and a half, and pushing her from 8.500 to 8.54. <laughs> so like barely pushing it up like four basis points. And that's what's so cool about these different hashtags, which it's just notes to help me better understand some of the seemingly crazy shiitake that some of these guys uh, spin out, which is their life's work. It's literally his life's work is bringing a camera around and running camera game or black label logic talking about literally arbitrage. So look, we're about an hour and a half in, um, and this is this is about the the extent that I typically let these podcasts run. Um, and this has been a hugely valuable podcast. There's 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 levels to what you've been saying, and there's a lot of gold nuggets just all over the place and people can take that for what it's worth and they can, and they can look deeper into what it is that you do. And I know that um, that's something that I'll be doing because um, you've, you've captured, you've captured my interest, hmm. but, but that being said, okay, we've gotten here and we've, we've covered all these different subjects and we've really only been talking about one subject at the same time, which is sort of um, how, how you, um, how you ought best look at the world and behave in the world if you want to um, amplify your success. At least that's the message I've been getting from you. I like and it. On, and on that note, I wonder, one thing I like to give my guests the opportunity to do is, okay, you've been speaking with chance for this time, but people are going to listen to this. And it's likely going to be a young person who's trying to find something of value to help them in their lives. So if you were sitting across from that, uh, listener in your imagination, whoever it is, and you're looking them in the eyes, what's the one thing that you would tell them that would add to their capability or their potential to um, build the life that they imagine they might be able to build? I love it. It's already inside the podcast that we've talked about, which is send me 60 bucks. Huh. I don't want to keep the 60 bucks. Guess what I'm going to do with the 60 bucks? I'm going to send you my notes from this podcast and, you know, let you follow up with two questions. Hmm. And from that, you will be able to buy 60 bucks worth of things. This first one's completely risk-free. You send me the 60 bucks. I send you some notes. You ask me two questions. Okay. Say one positive thing in social media about me. You don't even have to say two positive things. You know what? It doesn't even have to be a positive thing. It could be even be a neutral thing. And then email me, lawrence.chang at gmail. Lawrence, traditional L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E, Chang, C-H-I. There's an I before the A. So you say one neutral thing about me, I'll send you your 60 bucks back. What this will do is this will prime the pump for you buying a $52.75 book from Jimmy Song and our mutual friend, Tim O'Reilly, buying programming Bitcoin. Like as soon as you start buying stuff 
as soon as you start buying $20 bills for 75 cents, as soon as you start buying $60 bills for $2.50, as soon as you start buying $300,000 checks for $75, you will be always rich because you'll be incredibly capital efficient. There's actually a video where I first interacted with uh, the godfather of the red pill movement, Rolo Tomasi, where I talked about breakfast game because this gives me goosebumps because I don't think you should be running game like just, you know, day game. Well, I mean, actually I do think you should be running day game because it's hilarious, but I think you should be running early breakfast, early day. Game. Oh man, I just messed up my joke. I love breakfast game because it's day game, but pregame. So you can't have a bad day if you've already scored at breakfast. I'm not talking about <laughs> bed breakfast. I'm talking about strangers eating at the Palace Hotel, strangers eating at the St. Regis during, during uh, the FinTech conference, during South by Southwest, during TED in Vancouver. You don't have to buy an $8,000 ticket. You can just stay at the Pan Pacific Hotel and run day game, breakfast game. And breakfast game is just doing table-to-table networking at a conference where everybody paid $8,000 and they're all going to eat breakfast because they want to meet the other people who are whales. Very, mm-hmm. very important people, VVIPs, they all go to breakfast. And breakfast is free because if you're – platinum status or president circle of Fairmont or Pan Pacific uh, VVIP, you get a free breakfast and a guest. So you just ask people, Hey, uh, do you have a guest? Because I'm just, you know, I'm Larry and I'm kind of new to this technology scene. Uh, if I could be your plus one for breakfast, that'd be great. No, you can't be my plus one. I don't <laughs> even know you. Oh, well, you know what? That's okay. Uh, I've read all about you in NYU business and uh, I went ahead and Googled you. So if you could tell me your personal email, it'd be great if I could follow up with like two or three questions. (sighs) You know what? I'm not good on email. Why don't you just eat with me? (laughs) That's how that works. (laughs) That's how that works. And then, and then you sit with them at breakfast and they like to be not alone during breakfast so then you say to other people at other breakfast tables, hey, I'm eating breakfast with Larry Chang. Uh, he's uh, an attendee at this uh, TED Bill conference, Bill TED, uh, South by Southwest, uh, Austin City Limits, whatever conference. And uh, have you met him yet? And you walk people over to his table. You're literally running game. In that same way that that one guy, what's his name? RSD, Ted, RSD, Steve. I can't remember. But yeah, he talked about being friends with a club owner. Uh, People don't hook up at clubs anymore. But guess what? VIPs, they hook up with other VIPs during breakfast. So when you're running breakfast game, table to table, you bring other people over to the guy who's feeding you the free breakfast as a thank you. Because they haven't met him yet or they haven't connected yet and table to table networking is actually not easy. So if you can walk as the plus one, add a little value, if you can walk over another VIP over to your VIP, 
they'll be forever thankful and you get the the RSD Luke. That's what it is. Him being fat, that's part of his business model. He's going to be screwed when he's like rich and skinny. Have you seen RSD Luke? He's really fat. He's really <laughs> fat. But it works for him because he's selling $3,000 programs. Could you imagine if I'm sitting in front of people? Oh, by the way, sorry about lying to you that I'm 5'1". I'm actually like 6'5". But yeah. him being fat, <laughs> I know. If you're 5'2 on the internet, people are like, wow, I could do whatever he's doing. He's rocking it out like he's 5'2". <laughs> RSD Luke is fat, and that's part of his business model. Okay, so when other people look at him, they're like, wow, he's pulling a lot of ass in the JJ. He's fat. I should spend $3,000. You think anybody would hand me $3,000 to like teach him PUA? Are you joking? 90% <laughs> it will be like, you know what? I bet that guy just shows up, stands there, doesn't hold a drink, bends his knees a little bit, you know, and doesn't touch, you know, the bar counter. I bet Putty just gets thrown at him. Well, yeah, so that's actually a horrible business model. But him being fat, <laughs> him being fat, people are like, God, if he's hooking up, I definitely can use his knowledge. That's what breakfast game is. That's what the 60 bucks is for because from the notes, just from this last part of what do I get for 60 bucks, Yeah, you get these notes and then you say something neutral. I read these notes that Larry Chang wrote out i'll give you your 60 bucks back but then what you'll notice is that that'll prime the pump of maybe i need to read a book maybe i need to spend you know 60 dollars in tip which is how to tip at breakfast game like you don't just show up and just start mooching you bring a short stack at least eight five dollar bills and you tip two people because most of the time, even the whale, they don't have small $5 bills in the local Canadian currency for Ted. They just have, you know, their American Express card. And if breakfast is free, they actually can't tip because they don't have cash. They can only tip on their credit card and you can't tip 25 bucks on a zero. American Express won't allow it. But if you tip for them or you hand them the small bills to tip, then if you're with an athlete, then the athlete gets all these accolades. Oh my God, not only did, you know, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, uh, you know, pose for a selfie, he also dropped like a $25 tip. What in the world's going on? And that kind of, that kind of where you're beta male. I mean, you want to be alpha, the path to alpha is running all these beta Biatch tasks, remembering to bring a stack of $5 bills, remembering to bring pen and paper, taking notes as the whale is talking. Like you don't take notes on a phone. You take them in a moleskin. You take them on uh, this notepad that I'll show. I'll tweet you this notepad. When you whip okay. out this notepad, people laugh and then they start to get scared because they want to see what other notes you've taken. And if you're talking, you're running breakfast game, and you're like, oh, my God, what you just said is really important. Can you repeat that? You pull out your notepad. It's speed seduction for VIPs. 
Can you repeat what you just said? And then write it down in your little notepad. And after you write it down in your notepad, then they're like, oh my God, I need to come up with something else really good to say to see if they'll write it down. And then you get their best stuff totally for free. And optics, they want you to look like a VIP taking notes because if no one's writing anything down, did your conversation really ever happen? That's what they get for 60 bucks. <laughs> Damn. Well, I can tell you this. I'm going to be sending you 60 bucks and you can get notes on our own conversation. <laughs> <laughs> You're way too kind. You're way too kind. I should, be, I should be sending you a thank you card. Oh, my God. That's another thing I do. Tiffany, like if you help me make a Miller 6, okay, they don't want an email thank you and a paper thank you is kind of required i send men who help me i send them a tiffany gift because they get it and they're like you know what larry chang is really good looking oh my god is he gay for me <laughs> this is a weird gift and then you know it's just an innocuous like uh piggy bank duck okay they got that it's like two grand nine of them and then you open it and you're like oh thank god I was hoping it wasn't going to be like jewelry or like you know, something weird. It's a duck. Okay. Okay. This is all on brand and it's all good. Is that not hilarious? Because you want people to be like, Oh my God, what is this? Is, is, is that person that I just helped? Is he sexually coming on to me? Yeah. Not cool. But what is cool is a duck. That's a piggy bank. I mean, I'm not going to send you a piggy bank. I'm going to send you a duck bank on brand and you help me make money and you, nobody puts change in there, but it's going to go in your office. And then people, you literally will own their office because people will be like, the fuck is that duck? Is that from Tiffany? <laughs> you know, it's got that Tiffany color. And you're like, nah, I just, uh, Larry Chang gave it to me. What'd, what'd you say? I was just repeating you, dude. I love that line. What the fuck is that duck? Exactly. <laughs> like, what is that duck? Or if they're visiting the hotel, I mean, they're sitting at two places, the Fairmont, the Ritz, or the Four Seasons in San Francisco. You know, if you're really slumming it and you're not having a good year, okay, the freaking St. Regis. You send them three, I know, you send them three bouquets of flowers to each hotel or at least find out where they're staying. If they're staying there, okay, send three bouquets. And just say, hey, welcome, uh, welcome to San Francisco, Tim O'Reilly. You must have had a long drive from Sebastopol. Uh, I wanted you to say thank you for publishing my book or thank you for hosting me for this conference where I got to speak or thank you for helping me with that introduction that led to this other introduction, which actually led to the thing that you saw me on, on CNN. So I really want to thank you for that. And here's three bouquets of flowers. You own their suite. If they're staying in a small room, okay, it's going to be full of your flowers. And then they're maybe even potentially going to take them home with them. Or he's going to have to give them out as gifts because he can't take them on the airplane. So then he ends up giving them away. And then he gets the benefit of giving them away, but they know. He knows that you funded those gifts. It's the biggest hack ever is Man. sending 
a Tiffany duck because, you know, just like you're giving me 60 bucks, if you don't make 200 grand from the 60 bucks, I don't want to be friends with you. Like I literally don't want to know you if you can't be capital efficient with the breakfast maneuver. Like if you can't figure out where the breakfast is, guess what? Breakfast is in the lobby. <laughs> you can't figure out where the breakfast is, okay? <laughs> you can't like, you know what? Worst case scenario, buy the continental breakfast. It's 20 bucks. Yeah, it's overpriced for cold cereal. But that 20 bucks gets you in the room. It gets you in the room. And then you don't rock pile with the one person you brought with. You go solo. Uh, CS183B, lecture one, uh, Sam Altman, head of Y Combinator, talks about how you got to be like James Bond. Well, this is how to do it, but he didn't iron it out at all. In fact, this is how to do what Jason Bourne would do, which is go network solo, read a map. He's always reading those dumb maps in those dumb movies. Read a map. Where's the lobby? Is it a second floor lobby? Is it the seventh floor lobby or it's the lobby lobby and the breakfast is in the lobby in the restaurant where they give the free breakfast. 60 bucks turns into $200,000. If it's only 50, well work a little harder and turn it into 200 K. I think that's an excellent place to leave off here, Larry. Nice. Thank so. you for yeah. organizing and thank you for reaching out and thank you for being persistent with the uh the calendar invites and thank you for the group invitation uh that little messaging group that's a great group of people so thank you for inviting me that i'm learning a lot there absolutely yeah it's a special thing and um just to kind of reciprocate what you said you know i'm very grateful that you came to talk to me like i said before i wasn't really sure what this conversation was going to be like or where this was going to go, but I couldn't be more pleased. Um, like you kind of talked about before I've, I've met some people who are significantly successful and I always, uh, I always get a kick out of it. When you, when you get to a certain level, you're just no longer afraid to be yourself. And I always appreciate people like that. So, <laughs> and um, not afraid to squeeze your audience for 60 bucks. That's three Andrew Jackson's. PayPal.me slash Larry Chang. <laughs> um, I love and, money. Uh, you know, you can send all the money you want to me as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, what's your PayPal address? I don't even know. <laughs> do you, I've, used, do you, I've used it twice. Do you take money on crypto? I, uh, I haven't yet. I will send you uh, Elsa. She has my... Uh, QR code in her mouth. So if people scan Elsa's face, they can actually send me crypto. I've got to get one of those. <laughs> I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you, Elsa QR code. Very good. Well, awesome. I, like I said, man, thanks a lot. I really appreciate you being here. This is a fantastic episode of the podcast. And there's, there's something here for everybody. I'm certain of it. Nice. All right, I'm going to hit the stop button then, my brother.